1: Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio.
0: Today's episode has been made possible through the generous support of Bright Peak Financial, an award-winning not-for-profit supporting Christians on their journey to financial strength. Go to brightpeakfinancial.com to make your dream happen.
1: Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister, and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. We're in the midst of a series where we've been interviewing people about the history of New Thought, and I have the privilege today of having someone on the show that I really wanted to have on the show because I read his book, and it was so good. I wanted to make sure that I I had the opportunity to allow you all to be able to be exposed to his work and be able to call in and ask him questions. So without further ado, today I'm interviewing New Thought historian Mitch Horowitz. How you doing there, Mitch? I'm great. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Before we um, start, I will I start asking questions to open up the uh, open up the show to callers. Can you give us a little bit about your background so people know who they're listening to?
3: Sure. For the past 10 years, I've been writing about the history of alternative spiritual movements in America. Um, I've been a publisher at Penguin Books, where I work on metaphysical titles. I've written for a lot of mainstream places about alternative spiritual topics, like the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. And my latest book, One Simple Idea, which is now out in paperback, is a history and analysis of the New Thought movement. And that's where, really where I nest personally. New Thought is my chief spiritual commitment in life. Uh, I write as a believing historian. I also write as a critical historian. Uh, I want us to ask tough questions about our own tradition, and I also want to provide people with practical ideas to try New Thought techniques in their own lives, especially in light of the fact that there's so much extraordinary research going on today, from placebo studies to neuroplasticity, that really stands on the shoulders Shoulders of New Thought. I think we're almost on the brink of a renaissance in how we understand the possibilities of the mind, and New Thought should be at the forefront of that. So that's what informs my current writing and search.
2: Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I read the uh, book One Simple Idea. I became exposed to your work through Harv Bishop's uh, Ah, blog. Yeah, and you know when I, I read something, I was like, you know, that's really good. Made me think. I appreciate it <laughs> and and, and I then I looked up the science of Mind magazine which I'll get but I don't always read everything in the midst yep. of ministry you right. know like oh I'll get to those articles later but I actually went back and started looking at some of your work and I said you know what I like his work so I, I ordered it. the book one simple idea and uh you know, I, I probably read it in about three days wow like cover to cover I mean it really digested it. <laughs> I yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank and, you. But I couldn't put it down. It was like, I'll come home from work, and I was like, you know what? Let's pick the book back up. Oh, and, thank you. Uh, it you know Then I ordered a Cold America, mm-hmm. which uh, was also fascinating, especially considering how uh, y- many people view uni- the United States as a purely fundamentalist or yeah. half-Christian <laughs> nation. Yeah. The history doesn't support that. Right. right, right. <laughs> so I would, when I was exposed to it, I said, you know what? I would love to have this uh, gentleman on the show to be able to talk about a few things. So the first thing I want to ask you, which you already touched on a little bit is what do you think is New Thought's major or potential major contribution to the 21st century in the United States and abroad?
3: Well, you know, New Thought pioneered the idea that thoughts are causative, that thoughts have some... Effect on our experience beyond giving us the ability to draw up a shopping list or do math equations or figure out what we need to do to schedule our day. Those are the uses of the mind that humanity in the Western world was familiar with up through the middle of the 19th century. A new thought in its earliest incarnations. Split all that apart and raise the idea that there was this whole other pool of thought going on that we didn't know anything about. People didn't have an idea. Of the subconscious mind or the unconscious mind, say 150 years ago. In fact, it really wasn't until very close to the to the start of the 20th century that those concepts began to become topics of discussion. And even then, chiefly within the scientific community. So, new thought has pioneered so much that today uh, is occupies people in the scientific world through experiments into placebo, into the placebo response, uh, neuroplasticity, uh, quantum physics, um, different forms of cognition, using your mind successfully to solve problems in your life, emotional problems, rel- relational problems, as well as the whole question of the mind-body connection. These things are rooted in early new thought. Now, what new thought can contribute in the 21st century is saying, how can we take some of these extraordinary ideas that have permeated our culture in so many different ways and make them practical in a way that makes sense to people living in a very complex? 21st century world. We're living longer than we ever have before, but we're also facing more disease because diseases that used to be fatal are now things that we can live with, like uh, diabetes, for example. But hand-in-glove with living with these diseases, which is a wonderful thing, also raises new questions about how to manage them. And that's just one area, of course. There are so many areas across life where we are seeing Unique challenges as economies break apart, new economies emerge. We are dealing with the same human catastrophes from war to uh, environmental catastrophes that people have experienced in the past. But we're now viewing them on a global scale because we're all interconnected, and it lends this notion to people that life has gotten more complex, and it probably has. We need to get more complex, too. We need to provide people with answers that are different than they were in the early 20th century. So my challenge to New Thought is how can we provide a practical philosophy that is up to the standards of complexity that people have to face in life today?
2: Yes, yes, definitely. Um as you were mentioning and talking about that, I was thinking about uh some conversation I had on with the author last week and some personal conversations I've had with people in general about a term I call new thought elitism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which uh you know um I've been in new thought teaching new thought for 20 years. Yep. And and one of the things that I've noticed in our own movement again we can love our movement but we can also critique it. Yes. Is you know, people say, well, those people just don't know truth or uh, those right. people just don't 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 you know, know who they are or. Right. You, know, uh, you see somebody who's having some challenges instead of having compassion. Yes. You go automatically to, well, you know, that's just universal law. And, you know, they have to watch their thoughts and that could be true. But where's if I'm a true student, why aren't I standing up for truth in that moment? The love, right. the peace seeing the wholeness in the individual instead of being judgmental. So, you know, in your studies, have you run across this, and you might not have used the term, this new thought elitism?
3: Constantly, constantly. And that's a great term. And my challenge back to the new thought elitists is this. The only empirical facts that we have in our own intimate spiritual search is our inner experience, is our life experience. I can judge things that happen to me. I can try to create a beeline between thought and circumstance and use that as a way of trying to map out the structure of my world and my inner world. But if I'm explaining away somebody else's suffering, All I'm doing is throwing a stone. I don't think anybody should talk about poverty or war or harassment who hasn't personally experienced those things. I think that's an abdication of self-observation, which is really the only tool at the end of the day that we possess on the spiritual path. I could talk to you about what's going on within me. I can talk to you about what's going on in my life. But if there's an earthquake in the nation of Haiti, for example, as there was several years ago, and you had a huge fraction of that population, because of that earthquake, rendered homeless or killed or in some cases maimed or exposed to disease, how dare I do anything other than try to help my neighbor in that situation? Does New Thought have something to offer? Of course it does. And that Population at that time had tremendous needs, tremendous needs, including concrete material needs that had to be fulfilled right away. If I look at people and I judge them as somehow having been on the same wavelength as the events or not having had the, the right contract with universal truth, all I'm doing is throwing a stone. At the end of the day, we can only speak authoritatively, about our own experiences. We can try to learn from another person about his or her experience, but the only tools that we really possess are self-observation, intimate self-observation, inner empiricism. If I'm judging my neighbor, I'm just throwing a stone at that person.
2: Yes, I remember uh, last year, I don't know if you were following what was going on in Chicago, but we we had a situation where uh, a young... teenage black male was shot 16 times walking away from a police officer. So several of the ministers in Chicago, including myself, went downtown to protest. And in the midst of the protest, uh, after it was over, I was having a conversation with another New Thought minister. And we were, you know, obviously uh, disturbed by what had transpired. And I said to her, you know, One of the things that New Thought has to get is that you don't have to be – you shouldn't have to be a mystic to get justice. Right. That's beautifully put. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hang know.
3: that up somewhere.
2: <laughs> Just credit. Yeah. Beautifully put. Right, right, right. That's you know, beautifully but seriously, put. Seriously, because yeah. I think that's the thing. Well, if they have the consciousness, well, when right. uh, does having basic human rights be, become a consciousness thing? Right, and right. And so, I challenge beliefs a lot. So that's one of the reasons why, when I read your book, I it it, it, it so touched me because I'm saying he's not a fundamentalist of anything. Go where the truth leads you.
3: Right. Right. You know, my main contention, and I think this is the area where new thought really needs to grow up and we really need a maturation, is that we live under many laws and forces. Is there a law of mental creativity? Yes, absolutely. I believe that with all my heart. But there's also a law of gravity. And you're going to experience gravity very differently if you live here on Earth versus somebody who lives on the Moon. They're going to experience gravity differently because there's also a law of mass. The Moon has less mass than the Earth, so we seem to be lighter. There's nothing different going on in the cosmos. Gravity hasn't changed. It's just that another law kicks in, which is the law of mass. Now, a law... To be a law has to be consistent. So some people feel like, well, if the mind is causative, then that must be going on all the time. Yes, it's going on all the time, but it's not the only force that we live under. We live under many laws and forces. Mortality alone tells us that these bodies are going to decay. We are going to die and go away from this plane of existence, whether we feel like it or not. So I think we need to understand and we need to... Put a message out to the public that says you can experiment with the forces of the mind. You can find beautiful spiritual truth in unity and in new thought, and it will help you. It will build up your life. But, of course, we live under many laws and forces where there is political oppression, where there is economic Depression, people are dealing with that as a very real aspect of day-to-day life. Look, I believe there are, in fact, accidents, and I break with that idea that there are no accidents, that everything is purposeful, that everything is forwarding. If you live on an earthquake fault, you might get hurt, and that's not your fault. There's geological activity that I can explain. There's nothing in the history of New Thought that says to me that, The law of attraction, or however you want to put it, must be some exclusive mental super law that controls everything. We live under many laws and forces, but to come to terms with the fact that the mind is one of those laws and forces, that's fantastic enough. That's extraordinary enough. You could spend your whole life studying that, and that's what I'm trying to do. But nothing requires that you say that's the only thing going on. So yes, go to the protest. Try to effect change in the community and in the nation for the better. Deal with life on the, all the levels on which it occurs. My message to people is include the mind in that. Include the causative properties of the mind in that. It doesn't require closing yourself off to anything else. That's where I think new thought has to grow up.
2: Uh, I, I would see that. I, I see that. I can, uh, you know, remember being in ministers' meetings with Reverend Coleman, and mm-hmm. she would always say, "Keep it practical. Go right to the practical. Go right mm-hmm. to the practical," because that was her driving force. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't, you know, I don't know how much uh, research you've done on her, but you know, yeah, I
3: admire her very much.
2: You know, but you know, build. You know, she built the at the time the largest church in the city of Chicago, teaching the yes. God. Yes. And which which should say something, by the way, because when people say, well, you know, this teaching is not mainstream. She was in Chicago and yes, female and black. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty main. <laughs> That's as real as it gets. And, yeah, and, and yeah. I'm sitting in the building right now on 32 acres of land with a 3000 seat auditorium. And this place is gigantic. Three buildings yes. built. The, yes. but the point of it was the reason why I think it got over her was because she dealt with the needs of the community that she was dealing with yes. she knew that uh you know African Americans in Chicago needed a lessons on success and prosperity yes. coming out of Jim Crow laws and things of that nature that she grew up in in Mississippi so yes. she drilled on that she drilled mm-hmm. on because if you don't have the money that you need to have you don't have the health care she drilled mm-hmm. on spiritual process healing because her ministry started from having a six-month Prognosis. She was supposed to mm-hmm. die in the early 1950s. She was mm-hmm. told by the doctors, get your life together. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. of a magazine that her mother had, she op- she bumped into it, opened up and she saw the prayer of faith by unity. I uh, can't remember the harness, whatever, can't remember her last name now. And when she saw that God is my health, you can't be sick. She went to Unity Village to find out what that meant. Yes. That, yes. It, 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 the, here's the thing understanding what her community needs so first she had to get her healing yes her breakthrough and her demonstration even though yes. i mean we can have this conversation offline really dealing with the race they were teaching love new thought love we all one with god She couldn't live on the campus
3: that's right yep i was gonna <laughs> mention know, that and yeah. all of that stuff yep yep
2: <laughs> but eventually she desegregated unity village. Yes. Yes. unity village
3: yeah the dorms at unity village yeah yeah
2: so you know and and but eventually realizing once she brought it back to her community that I'm going to focus on the things that my community needs. Practical Christianity as unity we used to be called back in the day and really right. drilling home. And I think that allowed it to expand because she was speaking to the needs of the people. And I think yes. that we can still do that today. It can't be so esoteric, so heavenly I, that it's no earthly good. I,
3: I think couldn't agree so. with you more. Yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing is our – pioneers in New Thought completely conducted themselves along the lines that you've been describing. They were engaged in the spiritual. They were engaged in the social. They were engaged in the political. Wallace D. Waddles, the author of The Science of Getting Rich, one of the most popular books in our field, he ran for Congress on the Socialist Party ticket. He ran for mayor of Elwood, Indiana on the Socialist Party ticket. His publisher, Elizabeth Town who was a major force in New Thought up through the mid 20th century she became the first female alderman in the town of Holyoke Massachusetts she also ran for mayor of Holyoke she was a major women's rights Activist, a suffragist activist. Marcus Garvey, the pioneering black nationalist. I've written this in Occult America. I've written this in One Simple Idea. There is no understanding Marcus Garvey without seeing him as part of the New Thought tradition. He took a leaf out of New Thought books. It permeated his speeches, his writings, his public statements. He believed that... The individual needed a mental metaphysics to try to find his or her way in the world, to build up a sense of self-worth, self-confidence. At the same time, no one would ever accuse Marcus Garvey of being aloof to politics, aloof to social needs. He dedicated his whole life to a political program for the uplift of black people. But it's only recently, because historians couldn't recognize his new thought, language. They didn't know where it came from. They skipped past it. It's only recently that we've learned that Garvey was very deeply steeped in new thought. And new thought phrases like, as a man thinketh, and all kinds of others permeate his articles and speeches. And I go into this in some depth. So, in a certain sense, what we're really talking about is a back-to-basics. You know, this is in our heritage. Uh, people who were experimenting with different spiritual ideas in the late 19th, early 20th century were also often at the forefront of radical political ideas, uh, whether it be abolitionism in the mid-19th century, suffrage, the civil rights movement. Father Divine is now understood as an early progenitor of the civil rights movement. He was deeply steeped in new thought. He frequently said one of his favorite books is was The Secret of the Ages by Robert Collier. He gave away thousands of copies. This isn't imaginary. These are our forebears in new thought. So, you know, we don't need to say, oh, gee, we need some radical revisioning of who we are. We need to get back to who we are because those voices were there at the inception
2: of things. Beautiful, beautiful. We're going to take our break really quickly. So when we come back, I'm going to open the uh, the phones for calls. So callers, let me give you the number, which is 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms.
0: to thank you for your support
1: so there i was staring at a closet overflowing with clothes practically bursting at the seams in their polyester prison i had 10 minutes left to get dressed and the stress was kicking in are turtlenecks still a thing what about rhinestones where did i get this Oh, my leggings from 1987. Ah, the scarves are
0: attacking me. Sound familiar? Declutter your life and your closet with the Simple Living Challenge. It's a free 14-day challenge with powerful daily assignments to help you find more balance, freedom, and joy in life. Just go to simplelivingchallenge.com to sign up. Ooh, a cowboy hat.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell.
2: Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm interviewing Mitch Horowitz, the author of several books, including uh, One Simple Idea, which is a book about the history of new thought that I highly recommend. Uh, Mitch, tell people quickly how they can get in contact with you, because I want to make sure that people know all of your... Um, you know your email, not your email or your website, or yeah sure topics, et cetera
3: um they're welcome to know my email too, actually. <laughs> if you just throw my name into Google, Mitch Horowitz, you'll have no problem finding me. It'll take you right to my website. there is an a real actual bona fide email link on there, and I'm always happy to hear from 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 readers and listeners. If people email me i'll I'll send them a couple of cards with some ideas for mind metaphysics experiments that they can try in their own lives. But uh, I'm super easy to find, and you can find my books anywhere you buy books, at your church bookstore, online bookstores, wherever you like. But just throw my name into Google, and I'm super easy to find.
2: All right. All right. So uh, callers, if you want to call in to ask Mitch a question about New Thought History or a particular New Thought person, we have about 25 minutes to get that done. So call in at 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. Now, Mitch, the person I want to ask you about is Neville, and this is the reason why, as I was explaining before, yep. he, he fascinated He fascinates me, and he was one of the first people to really kind of break my understanding when I first got into New Thought. And um, because of my, uh, you know, being around teaching New Thought for all of these years, I know a lot of people who worked with Reverend Ike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Reverend Ike and uh, Reverend Coleman were like brother and sister. Oh, is that They're right? I did know Extremely close. I like mean, no, I posted a picture on Facebook, if you get a chance. Yesterday, I posted a picture of them that I found in some old files.
3: Oh, no kidding. Together. I'd like to see that.
2: Yeah, uh, but they were extremely close.
3: Uh-huh. Uh, he used to
2: call Reverend Coleman his sister. No kidding. And uh, one of the things that I discovered was that Reverend Ike used to give copies of Resurrection to people.
3: Oh, that's wonderful! <laughs> that's my favorite book in the field. Period. Yeah. End and of story. and yeah.
2: his and his feeling gets the blessing teaching mm-hmm. is from Neville. Mm-hmm. If, if, if I, I'm a big Reverend. oh yes, right, right. Of course, of course. Called feeling gets the blessing. He was known wonderful. for that. He would teach the Jacob and Esau, and that's all Neville. But what wonderful. he did was yep. he broke it down to the level to where people could digest it. As that's there, right. So so let's talk a little bit about Neville and the mysterious Abdullah.
3: Yes, right. My favorite subject, as a matter of fact. Uh, Neville, it, you know, it's, it's not always easy to pick favorites, but if I had to select a figure from New Thought Tradition who's had the greatest influence on me and continues to, it would be Neville, Neville Goddard, who was just a brilliant mind-power theorist, born in 1905 in Barbados, died in California in 1972. And Neville's philosophy came down to this. He taught that the... God of ancient scripture is your imagination, and that your imagination literally shapes everything that you experience, and that everyone and everything that occupies your world is rooted in you, as you are ultimately rooted in God. And he taught that the God of Scripture is really a metaphor for your own human imagination. And I tell people all the time, it sounds so radical. It sounds so completely upside down from everything that we have been raised to believe that people immediately want to agree with, uh, disagree with it and say, what? That's Crazy, that can't be so. And I always say, just read Neville every single lecture, every essay, every book. He restates his same basic idea, but with a freshness so that you feel like you're encountering it for the first time and with a beautiful, beautiful simplicity. He was so elegant. He was so simple. He was so straightforward. He was so persuasive. I really believe that Neville is going to become the voice of the greatest posterity and influence, ultimately, from the New Thought movement. You know, 10, 15 years ago, nobody heard of Neville. I hadn't heard of Neville. I was interviewing the baseball pitcher Barry Zito for Science of Mind magazine. This was in the summer of 2003. And he said to me, oh, you must be into Neville. And I said, no, I'd never heard of him. And he said, oh, you're kidding. And he was the one who turned me on to Resurrection, the book that the Reverend Ike gave away. Resurrection is incredible. In fact, I've just done an audio version of Resurrection. It's the first complete authorized audio version of the book. And reapproaching it for me was like entering the promised land. There is so much there. Now, it's interesting because you and I were talking in the earlier part of the program about how we need to acknowledge that we live under many laws and forces, whereas Neville's challenge is exactly the opposite. Neville said, nope. Your mind is God. Your human imagination is God. So, you know, how do we square those two things? And that's something that I'm working on. That's something that I'm working on. I find Neville so persuasive, so elegant, so filled with truth, that I come back to him again and again. So how do I square it? You know, it may very well be true that we do, in fact, live under the law of mental creativity, that ultimately, the ultimate truth of reality Is consciousness. That may very well be true. But we also may be living on planes of reality where we are unable to experience that as an absolute in our lives. And it's our responsibility to deal with those things that we do. Encounter as palpable forces in our lives, all the while looking to the higher truth that Neville has created, which that Neville has communicated that Neville has taught, which we can catch glimpses of, so none of this that we 're talking about means giving up experimenting means narrowing our horizons. The horizons that Neville puts in front of us, that your imagination is God are incredible, and I encourage everybody. Go read Neville. Go listen to Neville's lectures, which are online. Experiment with Neville's ideas. Let's work together on this because he issued a challenge to humanity
2: that is absolutely extraordinary. That's beautiful, beautiful. I, I love Neville. The the minister who first started me reading Neville is um, he has his own church now. Uh, the Reverend Doctor Joseph Hill who's called mm-hmm. Joe Hill, and he w- used to be uh, the. Chief Operating Officer at Christ Universal Temple. And I was a young man, oh. all of 21, uh-huh. in, in 1993. Wow. <laughs> Encountering Neville must have been incredible at that age. <laughs> oh, and, you know, wow. but, but, but I got in a new thought without – because I still want to talk about Neville. But my background is my mom brought me to the church. I thought i kind of bother her because she let me hear a Les Brown tape. And Les mm-hmm. Brown is actually – even though it's not well known, he's a minister for the Universal Foundation for Better Living, and he stopped being a minister to become a motivational teacher. He was trained mm-hmm. by Reverend Coleman. Oh, uh-huh. And uh, when I heard him speaking at the church for a, for a tape, I ended up coming to CUT. Three mm-hmm. weeks later, I almost died from a severe asthma attack. Wow. And I used what I was learning at the church and in class to heal my lungs. Right? Oh, I've never had an asthma attack since then. No medicine, no inhalers, anything. That's mm-hmm. a longer story um, mm-hmm. for another day. Mm-hmm. But so I was this young guy that was reading stuff, but I was reading things specifically for my healing. Mm-hmm. And once that happened, I was. I just asked him, I was "Like, what else should I be reading? He's like, have you ever read Neville? I mm-hmm. said, no. He said, I want you to read. He said, Neville, your faith is your fortune. And he asked me to read Joe Goldsmith, Consciousness Unfolding. Mm-hmm. And I read the Neville first. And mm-hmm. I read it cover to cover. Then I read it again. Yeah. <laughs> then I read it again. Yeah. yeah. All in one week because I was fascinated. I couldn't believe what he was writing. Right. right. <laughs> and, and I already <laughs> demonstrated a healing.
3: I've never I've never met anyone who hasn't said when they heard those words, have you read Neville? Who hasn't reported it as a turning point in their
2: yeah. lives. Never. Yeah. Never.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. I, I, I absolutely love it. Matter of fact. Um, I still tell people I'll use the first page resurrection. It's is, is beautiful, and this metaphysical Bible interpretation is maybe the only person that's that 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 I would say has put more work in metaphysical interpretation. Is Fillmore Charles Fillmore? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, but I have people read the first p- two pages of Your Faith Is Your Fortune. So just read this. Yes, yes. And and say, and, and, and play with it see what yes, it's saying to play your with soul it. right right
3: experiment because yeah yeah it yeah.
2: challenges you yeah really believe yeah. really believe you know and, and we say it but really believe what does it mean when you say that your mind is the creative power of the universe yes right you know and it's just beautiful beautiful so i want to talk to you about abdullah
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, and I'm going to say something about Abdullah, but I'll mention you had referenced Harvey Bishop's blog at the beginning of the broadcast, harvbishop.com. I'd encourage listeners, go there and... Scroll through it. See what's offered there, because I have articles there about Neville and Abdullah, about resurrection, about Marcus Garvey, all the things we've been talking about. I have articles nested on on harvbishop.com, and people will will find that very interesting. Uh, Abdullah. Neville said that he was taught by a black Ethiopian rabbi who lived in New York City, who went by the name Abdullah, and that they met in the early 1930s, and Abdullah tutored him in Kabbalah, scripture, number mysticism, and all the things that came to make up Neville's philosophy. So for years, when I first started writing about Neville, I had people asking me, who is this Abdullah? And, you know, no one knows. Is he real? Did he make him up? Is he a composite of people? Now, as I've written in One Simple Idea... I, I I found what might be a candidate for Abdullah and he was a black nationalist mystic and rabbi named Arnold Josiah. Ford, who lived here in New York City at the time that Neville said he and Abdullah first met. He had a physical appearance that was similar to what Neville described for Abdullah, who he described as a man who wore a turban and had a very somewhat somewhat stern, formidable-looking appearance. And if you look at pictures of Arnold Josiah Ford, you'll see that he fits the bill. Ford came from Barbados, just like Neville did. Ford was involved in the Ethiopianism movement, which was a precursor to Rastafarianism, which saw the nation of Ethiopia as home to a lost Israelite tribe. Ford was the musical director in Marcus Garvey's organization, and he and Garvey shared a mental metaphysics that was similar to what Neville wound up teaching. Uh, Ford identified himself as a rabbi and a man of authentic Judaic descent, who was very deeply interested and immersed in the study of Kabbalah and scripture and symbolism. There are so many correspondences. And It's possible that Arnold Josiah Ford, this early black nationalist mystic who lived here in New York City, who was an acolyte of Marcus Garvey, was neville 's teacher, Abdullah, why did Neville change the name i don 't know. Uh, it may have been a composite of people. Uh, Ford may not have wanted to be identified. Abdullah is also a play on words, possibly uh, he would call him Ab for short. The, the Hebrew word for father is Abba, um, and it may have been Abdullah may have been a play on that, but people can people can judge the evidence for themselves. I do think that. Abdullah, if not Ford, might have been Ford and a composite of other people. Um, but that's one of the mysteries that Neville left us. He, he liked to cultivate an air of mystery, and he liked to leave us with some questions and enigmas.
2: Yes, yes. I, I'm, I'm a big fan. When I heard his lecture, How Abdullah Taught the Law, yeah. I send it to all my friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to listen to this. It's really <laughs> you remarkable. In Barbados. <laughs> <laughs> you are in Barbados. You're in Barbados, right, exactly. <laughs>
3: and, you know, it, it's just, this is our history. You know, this is yeah. our lineage. And you were saying, you know, during the break, we need historians in our movement. We need scholars of our movement. We, we can't let this stuff get lost, or we can't let it get written about strictly by people who don't share our values. You know, we have to take responsibility for preserving this information. So, you know, that's what I'm trying. To do.
2: Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I, I don't know if you've had the opportunity yet, but I'm sure you would love going to the uh, the International New Thought Alliance's archives. In yes, Arizona. Yeah. I have not had the opportunity, yeah, and I'd I mean, very just, much would like to. You go in and see first edition New Thought books. They make you uh, it's, it's climate controlled. You have to put gloves on when you go in. Hmm. And uh, I went in and I saw you know first edition books by Warren Felt Evans. Oh, wonderful. wonderful! You know, it's like, oh, okay, this is real. You know, Mary That's, Baker Eddy, right? You know, Isn't office.
3: it amazing? Yeah, <laughs> you know. these people really existed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: And I was like, I don't want to leave here now. You know, I was right. there, for the Congress, International New Thought Alliance Congress, and I was like, I don't want to leave. I literally was just mesmerized. Isn't it wonderful? Because I know that you know this lineage, you know, is is. Might you know primarily be the reason why I'm still walking around in the body? Isn't that you something? Know, it, it's personal for me. Yes, and, and I feel the help. same.
3: Yeah, it's given me a whole direction in life. You know, I was casting around, not sure what I stood for, what I wanted to write about. You know, I didn't just want to be some other guy bopping around New York City writing book reviews somewhere. I never wanted that, and I didn't know where I fit in. And New Thought. Gave me that sense of direction. It became my compass, and uh, yeah. yeah, I feel the same way. It's it's personal for me.
2: Yeah, I want to talk to you about um, Napoleon Hill. Um, when yeah. I first read Napoleon Hill, one of the first things I said to myself when I was reading Thinking Grow Rich was, "This guy's teaching new thought." Yes, <laughs> real, yeah. younger guy. Yeah. And um, I found out later in Law of Success, he actually acknowledges that he borrowed from the New Thought movement. And that he's a favorite of yours based upon the book One Simple Idea. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Napoleon Hill and how people popularize the New Thought message like Norman Vincent Peale and some of the others. All the way up to now you have the Joel Osteens and several of the Word of Faith ministers who teach New Thought but don't acknowledge it. Right, uh, right. Publicly.
3: Absolutely. And everything you've just described really is new thought, which is why I call new thought the American creed, because it travels throughout our country. You find it in every congregation, in every religious setting. It's gotten into the groundwater of our country. People do not always acknowledge the source, and people don't, frankly, they don't even always know the source. You know, when Pat Robertson teaches the law of reciprocity, he's teaching new thought, you know, where he got the notion from, well, you know, it may have come down the pike to him. In some other popularized way. Um, Joel Osteen is teaching New Thought. Joel Osteen will at least acknowledge Norman Vincent Peale as an influence. Peale was the author of uh, The Power of Positive Thinking in 1952. And even Peale, who acknowledged New Thought, you know, who referenced unity and the film and Ernest Holmes, even he from time to time would kind of keep it at an arm's length distance. Uh, Napoleon Hill, as you mentioned, was very much a student of New Thought. And I think his book Think and Grow Rich, which first came out in 1937. It's actually one of the greatest statements of new thought that I've ever encountered, even though the term will never once appear within the book. But I encourage everybody to read Think and Grow Rich. I, I think it still stands as the finest practical program and distillation of new thought, at least as applied to one's striving to take an idea from the conceptual stage into the physical stage. Whether you want to become rich, so to speak, or whether you're, you're an artist or a student or a soldier or a teacher, whoever you are, if you're somebody who wants to bring an idea from conception to physical reality, Think and Grow Rich is the book to read. I don't think anything has ever Surpassed it it's absolutely new thought you know and and Dale Carnegie, who wrote. Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He was another popularizer of New Thought, more a secularized version of New Thought in a certain sense. But New Thought is really what produced all these books. It's just that these guys made the decision that they didn't want to be associated with some of New Thought's mystical culture. And in the 1930s and 1940s, they devised their own teachings and they distanced themselves from any kind of metaphysical or mystical subcultures, which they felt would be a drag on their popularity. So, you know, we have a nation of people who are reading New Thought books, practicing New Thought methods, and it's very possible that the majority of them have never once heard the term.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I was having this conversation with uh, David Alexander last Mm -hmm. week about uh, E.Y. Kenyon, who Mm -hmm. was a uh, very popular fundamentalist Pentecostal preacher who is now considered the 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 person who is considered who was the source material for Kenneth yep. Hagan who was sure. the person who started the Word of Faith movement. Exactly. And, yep. and he was teaching Quimby. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Kenyon went to
3: school with Ernest Holmes and Albert Hubbard and other people who were involved with New Thought in its early days. You know, I mean, Kenyon is, as you were saying, the founder of the Word of Faith movement, one of the most popular uh, Pentecostal and evangelical ministries in the country, and. He was absolutely steeped in mental healing, new thought, in, in some of its inceptive uh, forms. You know, he, he attended the school where Horatio Dresser taught, who was one of the early New Thought teachers and philosophers. You know, the, the word of faith movement is a branch of New Thought it denies its lineage because it sees New Thought as some kind of a weird, schismatic, mystical movement that's not teaching the true gospel. And they're entitled to that point of view, but their family tree leads directly back to New Thought. It's an absolute fact, and I go through the family tree in one simple idea.
2: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I found out about, you know, Kenyon. Talking to uh, my friend uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson, who, mm-hmm. when he started talking about the lineage of his own movement, was literally branded a heretic. Yeah, is- <laughs> right, right. <laughs> They want no contact. And and
3: people in the evangelical world even find Norman Vincent Peale to be an association that they don't want. Peale was a conservative Methodist minister who reprocessed the ideas of new thought through mainstream scriptural analysis, published it in The Power of Positive Thinking. He was politically quite conservative, but the evangelicals of today, they view Peale as too radical a figure. They don't want the association with Peel. So it's like they try to wash their hands of their own family background. The one exception to that, and I respect him for it, is Joel Osteen, who will at least acknowledge Peel as a source. And I I appreciate that
2: about him. Yes, yes, it it does make a difference. And um, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, because we only have about five minutes left, about the the Fillmore's and mm-hmm. the and the I, I'm just using this term I don't know if they use the same term mm-hmm. the Christian ethic that they tried to bring to New Thought and we yes. read some of the early hit and it's, it's, it's in your book as well that you know when people are like okay you know your God in expression do what you want and then they were kept trying to say okay if you're going to teach prosperity. His book on prosperity talks a lot – has a lot of what people now would consider socialist ideas. Yes, yes. Um, You know, he he was always trying to bring the Christian ethic into what he was teaching along with a lot of other things. Yes. But I just wanted – could you just talk about that just for a few minutes?
3: Absolutely, and and I really like the fact that the Fillmore's brought – Christian and scriptural ethics into new thought. I frankly think that's something that the Unity movement should hang on to. Uh, A little earlier this summer, I was speaking at a Unity church in Virginia Beach, and the minister there was making the point that she felt that Christian tradition was an important part of unity, and that she, she brought that emphasis to her congregation. And I really appreciated that. You know, the Fillmore's did see New Thought and Unity as practical Christianity. And I think they brought an ethical dimension to the teaching, including the social gospel of Christ, that's very, very important. We don't all have to look and sound the same in the New Thought Culture. Look, it's for each minister and each congregant to decide, you know, his or her own path. But I don't think unity should let go of that thread. I don't think we all need to talk about the universe or a higher power. I think using the word Christ is a beautiful thing to do. I think mooring one's spiritual search to the Beatitudes, to the Gospels, provides the seeker with a really important ethical backbone, and I'm encouraging of unity, hanging on to that expression and that tradition, because the Fillmore's did very much see themselves as Christian. They were very straightforward about that, and I think that's um, that, 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 that has brought a lot of uh, strength and helpful clarity
2: to the unity movement. Yeah, I agree. Matter of fact, uh, because Reverend Cuomo was once a unity minister, as you know, when she came mm-hmm. out and she initially made sure – She didn't really teach it any differently, yeah. You know, at our church we refer to ourselves as New Thought Christian. Yes, to this day, and you know we still teach the the core curriculum books, the lessons in truth, the you know the Elizabeth Sand Turner books, the Eric Butterworth, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. thing, you know, material that has the New Thought Christian flavor. So it's a you know, matter of fact, I've gone places to speak and. I've had people say, you know, he uses a lot of biblical terminology in Scripture. But that's my yeah, background. That's your so background. I teach it from that context. I don't mean right. that my context is the only context. But it's kind of – I've noticed that too. As, as as I go out, some people in New Thought don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, Bible, uh, Scripture, et cetera. And I'm, I am say to them, well, say that to Ernest Holmes. He used right. the word Christ. <laughs> right, used more. <laughs> Say right. that to Neville. Say I mean I should start naming right. people. Joseph right. Murphy. They're like you That's can't right. find a new thought giant.
3: Right, who right. Didn't
2: use the Judeo-Christian terminology.
3: Right. We don't all have to sound the same. Right. You know, Unity's foundation is Christianity, and I think it's right. important to hang on to that. It has cultural integrity. It has historical integrity.
2: Right, and I think that if we have a, a, a wide range, we'll catch somebody's ear that couldn't hear it another way and some people can't hear it our way and they'll hear it another way that's right as long as we get the message out and i think that that's what matters in the long run yes we're we're coming up to our our, you know less than less than uh one minute so i want to thank you so much for coming on i didn't even get a chance to ask about joseph murphy and a couple of my other favorites maybe down the line we can do this again i would i'd be happy to (laughs) appreciate it for real, um, yeah. Thank so you. I want to recommend that everyone go out and, and get the book One Simple Idea and, um, A Code America because you'll be surprised about some of our presidents and what they were studying. Yeah. For <laughs> and, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole different history that comes out there. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, um, uh, because I wanted to ask about some of those things about how new thought shows up on both the liberal and conservative side oh yes like i said before we we can set up something to do this again because uh the world needs this information because i believe the new thought has a healing message that can literally transform how we see and view life yes so thank you so much mitch this has been an absolute pleasure likewise God bless you and uh, and your work, and know that you have a supporter in Chicago at Christ Universal Temple.
3: Thank you so much, and back at you. Thank you. All right,
2: God, take care. God bless you. I'll be with you all next week with Truth Transforms.
4: Life calls upon us to be open to new ideas, new creative ways of thinking, and new ways of doing things. All of the positive changes in our world have been the result of open-minded people looking at some aspect of their world in a whole new way. You can have a more exciting life filled with wonder and glory when you keep an open mind about the new and unusual things that come your way and when you take a new look at what you thought were life's ordinary experiences. Just like the turtle who won't get anywhere in life without sticking its neck out a little, we get a lot further in life by sticking our mental neck out a little every day. You can be open to the changes in your world by starting with your own thoughts. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org.
1: 1 p.m. Eastern, on Affirmative Prayer, activating the power of yes. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Today's episode has been made possible through the generous support of Bright Peak Financial, an award-winning not-for-profit supporting Christians on their journey to financial strength. Go to brightpeakfinancial.com to make your dream happen. Every moment we live can be holy, and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so. Everything we do can be a prayer, and by using our innate creativity with intention... In every aspect of our lives, that can indeed be true. Author Carla Cannon wrote, Creativity is so much more than art making. It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression.
1: Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth.
0: Every moment we live can be holy, and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so. Everything we do can be a prayer, and by using our innate creativity with intention, in every aspect of our lives, that can indeed be true. Author Carla Cannon wrote... Creativity is so much more than art making. It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression.